get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And you know what, Lauren, you know what I like more than anything else in the world? The new Hobbit movie. No, uh, Star Wars. No, no. no. Um, These are good guesses, but pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, <laughs> dollar bills, hundred dollar bills. Yeah, we're talking about money again, guys. We've done this a couple times. But no, this is this is a, a topic that was sent to us by one of our beloved listeners, correct? Uh, yes, this is listener Matt via Twitter, uh, who said to us, in time for Australia Day on Sunday, how about a podcast for Australia's polymer money? And you know what? Australia Day was several Sundays ago. Yes, this is this is not a, an up-to-date and current podcast. So we apologize for not managing to put it out before the 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 day we're just really early for next year is the thing yeah see here's the thing uh time happens earlier in australia than it does over here and that's the reason i don't think that's the reason let's just i'm trying to cover our tracks here okay so yeah we wanted to talk about polymer currency what is it uh and why is it important why are so many other places looking into it or have already adopted it at least in some measure uh, yeah, because Australia was the, the first country to adopt an entire line of polymer notes. Right, uh, to, that to was... completely switch over their paper currency to polymer currency. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 1996, Yeah, although they had started using polymer notes way back in 1988. Yeah, and other countries had, had experimented with it before 1988, but no country had switched completely over to polymer currency before Australia did it. Uh, right. And now more than 25 other nations are, are issuing some polymer notes and, and more are adding themselves to the list all the time. The, the UK, for example, has plans to introduce both a five pound Winston Churchill note and a 10 pound Jane Austen note starting in 2016 and 2017, respectively. That's pretty cool. And so, yeah, we're looking at Upwards of a billion of these entering circulation, right? I mean, uh, in, in, in three years in the UK alone, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big rollout. They're going to be withdrawing all of their paper notes for those two current, uh, those two denominations. Right, right. So that makes, makes us wonder, like, what's the big deal here? So we're going to set some, uh, some foundation before we get into all the stuff about polymers because, you know, it helps to actually understand banknotes in general, currency in general before we jump into that. So, a banknote is just a unit of currency. Most of you out there are probably very familiar with some sort of banknote. Here in the United States, we talk about dollar bills, $5 bills, $10 bills, that kind of thing. As you were saying, in the UK, it's the pound. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of European nations, it's the euro, that sort of stuff. Well, it's, this is the, these are the actual physical bills that represent certain amounts of value. Mm-hmm. It represents a, a specific amount of value yeah. for a given nation. Exactly. So, uh, a $5 bill in the United States, Represents $5. Pretty straightforward when you get down to it, which is nice because as you've listened to this podcast, you know, some of the topics we cover, not so straightforward. Uh, right. Also, I'd like to apologize um, on behalf of myself for for amount of value. That was just a really spectacular phrasing. Oh, I get uh, so redundantly repetitive that I have to reiterate it occasionally. So at any rate, we want to talk also about what a polymer is. Now, a polymer is a type of molecule. It does not necessarily mean natural versus synthetic, that there are actually both natural polymers and synthetic polymers out there. Right. This is a specific classification of molecules. Now, a polymer is made up of monomers. 
Not a big surprise there. Polymer means, you know, poly means many, right? And mm-hmm. mono means one. Right. So a monomer is kind of like the base unit of a polymer, which end up being these long chains of, of molecules. They tend to be pretty resilient and flexible, at least on the molecular level, depending upon uh, what they're made out of. When you get it onto the macro scale, they may be more or less flexible than other materials. But if you're looking at natural polymers, that includes stuff like silk or amber. And synthetic polymers include man-made rubber, uh, natural rubber, also a polymer, obviously right. not, not a synthetic one, <laughs> thus the word natural. Um, but another synthetic polymer would be plastics. Mm-hmm. So uh, these have turned out to be incredibly useful materials for all sorts of industries. Uh, the technology industry in particular, I mean, our electronics wouldn't be what they are without these kind of plastic polymers, right? Yeah, uh, plastics make it possible. Yeah, because, I mean, otherwise we'd have to find some other material to make everything out of and it would be, all the prices would go up. Plastic's cheap. It's easy to produce. So these are all really important elements that you want in any kind of material. And so some people started thinking, well, maybe we could uh, apply that to currency. And so if you look at we talked about what a banknote does. We talked about what a polymer is. So a polymer banknote is a banknote made, made out of polymers. polymers. Hey, easy. And we can end the podcast right here. Yep. Thanks, guys. We'll, we'll keep going, though, because <laughs> you know me. I can't stop it. Just like whatever it is, like three and a half minutes. So we're looking at these type of synthetic materials, mainly the, the plastics family that to be used as a banknote uh, using plastic, according to all the authorities who are issuing these polymer currency uh, uh, denominations. Uh, it's actually cheaper than using paper. In the long run. Right. I mean, you know, of course, the, the costs of setting up a program to create these things is going to be pretty expensive. Oh, yeah. The in the front, short term. Yeah. But once once you get it going, it should be cheaper per bill to create these things. Right. And the idea behind that is, you know, you might say, well, how is it cheaper per bill? And the, the thought is that, well, these things are durable. They last longer than paper currency and paper currency you have to continuously replace. So uh, you may not be aware of this, but if you have a paper bill and you use it, you actually go out and you buy something with it, and someone else goes out and buys something with it. And eventually those bills make their ways to banks. And what happens is a, when a bank gets bills, they, they look at the bills, and if the bills have reached a certain level of use... If they're if they're basically about to disintegrate or otherwise become... Um, uh, unusable or mm-hmm. um, you probably don't want to touch them, then... Super gross, I think, is the technical right, term. Right, right. Yeah. The, the, those dollar bills or $5, whatever, those notes get taken out of circulation and replaced with brand new, fresh notes. So uh, when you hear about things like, a, a you know, a, a Treasury Department printing up currency, those bills, that doesn't represent new wealth, right? That's not new, as in that's not adding wealth to the nation. What that's doing is that's replacing old bills that were in circulation. The way you create wealth is not by printing more money. Because as, it, as many countries have actually found in the past. And, right. and, and, and sometimes people are printing money in order to increase the wealth. And there were huge quote marks around that phrase yeah. in case you couldn't hear them. Because oh, yeah. that is not that that's called inflation. And that's different. Exactly. Exactly. If you end up just printing currency and then dumping it into an economy, you really devalue the currency. So suddenly now everything costs more because the currency isn't worth as much. It doesn't have as much buying power. So when they're printing up these 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 bills, it's really to replace the ones that are already in circulation that need to be replaced. That's the main reason. Mm-hmm. The way you create wealth, by the way, in case you are wondering, is through loans. 
you loan out money and you add interest, that interest represents new wealth. That's kind of how, they, I mean, in a, in a very high level, like all the economics majors out there are just like, he is <laughs> oversimplifying this to the point of ridiculousness. But that's basically how you create new wealth. Economics has never made a lick of sense to me. Uh, like, like, like nanoparticles? Sure, totally. Macroeconomics? Yeah. No idea. Right, exactly. Um, I, totally. So, but, it, but at any rate, um, so these polymer notes, in addition to being slightly less expensive to manufacture and, and, uh, more durable, so therefore, you know, able to be kept in circulation longer, have a lot of good benefits when it comes to anti-counterfeiting measures. Right. So let's talk about some anti-counterfeiting measures. These are ones that some of them you can find on on paper currency, uh, but it's important to run down the list of it because a lot of the same techniques that are used in paper currency are being used in polymer currency as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of these you're going to hear and you're going to think, well, how is that special to polymer? Not all of them are. So one of them, uh, and it's a pretty simple one, is just the idea of creating things that are really finely detailed, like really, really tiny Design elements and, and parts of the image. Um, I mean, that's that's why you'll see a lot of very fine line work in many of the images. It's not just like a big cartoony looking thing. Right. And there'll be like little uh, curly cues and swirls and stuff in the various designs that are on the bill. And the idea here is that if you make those those details really precise, it's difficult to copy that. Right. It's difficult for a counterfeiter to make a fake bill that has that same level of detail in it, especially if you were, let's say that you have a, a copy machine that doesn't have any sort of protection on it where you're able to make copies of stuff. The m- more fine detail you include on there, the harder it is for that copy machine to reproduce it accurately. Mm-hmm. And so the hope for people who are making the bills is that anyone who accepts the bill will look at it and be able to tell just by glancing at it mm-hmm. whether or not those fine details match up against the real thing or if it's fakey, fakey. Okay, but even even fine detail can be duplicated. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that some of you are thinking like, well, we I have like a really high res scanner, yeah, and that could clearly duplicate. And and you know, if I have a good enough printer, then I could absolutely make a copy of that thing. Sure. But there's um there's a specific ink lying process. Yeah. Uh, so intaglio printing, right? Yes. Where it gets all when I read intaglio, I think like that sounds like a a, a cologne to me or something. Intaglio. <laughs> So the, the what this is is that you uh, all right you take like a a roller okay the roller is, is essentially like a stamp okay mm-hmm. and you make fine etchings in the roller so these are little indentations inside the roller you then coat the roller with ink now more ink is going to go into those indentations cuz they're like little wells sure and then you wipe the ink off the roller which does off not the surface exactly so that it's just into the etchings exactly and then you can put a piece of paper or whatever whatever you're printing on and it will then uh, just those little fine details that have been etched into the roller will be transferred to whatever you're printing on and that's a way of creating this incredibly finely detailed work so that you do it accurately over and over. Every single time it's going to come out exactly the way you want it to because mm-hmm. it's etched into whatever the printing mechanism is. Uh, right. And it will also create a design that is raised up off of the paper very slightly, paper or whatever other material. Yeah, exactly. So, again, both of those things are indications that you've got the real, legit currency in your hands. But there are a lot of other anti-counterfeiting measures as well, including things like... um Multicolor bills. So the idea here is that you don't use just a single die in the uh, the dyeing of your, your currency mm-hmm. so that you have maybe a gradation or a couple of different colors on each bill. 
because that is also difficult to replicate. Sure. So if, uh, you know, I remember when I think it was, I guess it was the hundred dollar bill a f- several years ago now, uh, when it, when it was redone, uh, it had kind of a peach coloring to it besides the green. Yeah. Yeah. Like a pinkish peachish. And, and everyone's immediate reaction was this looks like monopoly money, but yeah. it was actually a very clever way of, of cheaply integrating better security. Exactly. So yeah, for a lot of us, we we're suddenly thinking like, why, why do we have play money? It's sort of the uh, arrogant American approach to whenever we go to a, a foreign country. You know, it's not that every American does this, but I'm sure anyone living in another country has had the experience or at least have has heard a story of an American, American. Yeah, an American mm-hmm. tourist calling calling American currency, quote unquote, real money and then referring to whatever the local currency is as this stuff that I have to use to buy things uh, on behalf of all Americans. I would like to extend an apology to you. Not all of us are like that. Uh, no, some of us are much more subtly, completely ignorant about your money. I, yes. I, I, st- I still feel a little bit bad. I, I had the last time I was over in England, I had this really hilarious experience with a shopkeeper where I just I felt like Arthur Weasley holding this pile of, of British coins. And and like she was just trying to she, she was like, you know, that'll be a pound five. And I was like, how does it? Do? I just held my hands <laughs> up to her like how you you take how much money it is. The really sad part about that story, Lauren, is you're not old enough to have been around back when the, the when the, the English currency system was not based off off base 10. <laughs> when it was like, all right, I'm sorry, it's 16 pennies to a furlong, which is uh, it's 14 furlongs to a half guinea crown thing. Obviously, my ignorance of the English monetary system is also great. But yes, at any rate, uh, I have also had that same experience. So that those multicolor bills, obviously another step toward creating a anti-counterfeiting strategy. But it's not the only one. Again, there's also uh, incorporating strips of different colored material within a banknote itself. Right. So in this case, you might have a completely different material than what makes up the bulk of the banknote. The banknote itself may be made out of some sort of paper slash cloth type stuff with these other strips incorporated into them. Again, very difficult to counterfeit. You know, this just really it's just about raising the difficulty so that your average person can't really counterfeit this money. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It just means that you've raised the difficulty so much that the people who are attempting it, that number gets smaller and smaller because it's hard to do. Sure. Another strategy is to use holograms. Holograms. Yeah, so holograms are obviously these little big pictures that can, uh, they, they, they have a different, they, you know, they shine in a different way when you shine light on them. You also get kind of a 3D effect on them. You know, it looks like you're looking at a three-dimensional picture as opposed to uh, just a flat uh, image. And these are, of course, created with my favorite technology of all time lasers. Yes, we did an entire suite of episodes about holograms over on Forward Thinking a few months back. I failed to look up when exactly that occurred, but but go to the Forward Thinking website. Yeah, definitely. FWThinking.com. Please do. I mean, the, the episodes we did on holograms, we actually explain how people make holograms. And it does involve using two different types of lasers in order to uh, complete this. You know, it's actually kind of crazy to think how complicated it is just to make a a what what appears to be a simple image. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, again, holograms, it, re- it requires you to have some equipment that your average counterfeiter probably doesn't have access to. I like really expensive lasers. Right. Yeah. So then we've got uh, including strips of phosphorescent material. So then you've got, uh, you know, if you shine it underneath a like an, a black light, an ultraviolet light, then you might see that it glows if it's a true bill. 
Obviously, if it were a counterfeit and it doesn't glow, you'd say, ha ha, nice try. Now I'm calling the cops. Uh, right. Um, there's also all kinds of different inks that you can use that are slightly harder to duplicate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, including ink that will change color depending upon the angle at which light hits that ink. Right. This is due to a process called uh, iridescence. It, it's a physical process which works by virtue of, of microstructures, which are basically tiny holes that reflect light at different angles and wavelengths than the rest of the surrounding material. Yeah, this actually reminds me a lot of how uh, glasses-free 3D works in that you have these little tiny elements inside a screen that direct light in specific ways so that one eye gets one set of light and the other eye gets the other set of light, and that's what creates the 3D effect. Kind of similar here, except instead of trying to direct light at your at each eye independently, it's just changing that angle so that you get a different color experience as you're as you're moving the uh, bill in relation to wherever the light source is. Uh, sure. It, it can even be used to create this multicolor look without any ink at all. It can be a, a purely physical structure. Yep. Yep. Uh, then there's also using uh, ultraviolet reactive fluorescent inks or metallic inks. Uh, so again, uh, stuff that's not easy to come by. So, again, cutting down the uh, likelihood of counterfeiting. Uh, there's also microprinting that's kind of similar to the etching we talked about before. It's, this is where you're printing really, really super tiny words or numbers as a way of, again, foiling the efforts of people to copy an image directly. Uh, right, because not everyone has access to that kind of high definition printing. Yep. And then there's also designing software that actually recognizes when you are trying to manipulate some sort of banknote. Now, this software could be anything from a scanner to a copier to any kind of Photoshop sort of material, where once it recognizes the elements of a banknote, it essentially refuses to help you out. You'll end up getting either uh, an error or if you're trying to copy something, you might just get a solid block where there's no definition at all. It's it's. You know, kind of a, uh, you know, it's another level of security that's outside the bill itself. This is more on the end of the people who are making the software and hardware. Uh, right, right. You would have to depend upon those developers to create that for you or yeah. to create it in conjunction with you. And a big example of this is Urion Constellation. Uh, so this can recognize a scanned banknote based on the patterns that are actually on these banknotes themselves. The, these have been put there by the various uh, industries that create the banknotes. If those marks are present on any kind of image, like even if you included those marks on some other form of image, this thing's going to pick it up and say, all right, I can't work with this. And uh, it's not likely that you're going to have these specifically put on another image because they're tiny. They look like little one millimeter size circles, and they're usually printed in yellow ink. So... Uh, you're yeah. probably not going to find it on anything else by accident. Uh, probably not. It's it's not like it's working off of facial recognition of right. Thomas Jefferson or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah that exactly. Be, that would be a poor. No, that yeah, that would not work out so well. So then there's also just using a material that's not just paper, right? Because paper is not very sturdy and it's also really easy to reproduce. So most countries, including the United States, use some other material. It's something that's closer to cloth than it is in paper. Uh, linen, in fact, is one of the most popular additives. Yep. And in the United States, it's a mixture of 75 percent cotton and 25 percent linen fibers. So it's not really paper in the way we normally think of paper. Uh, which is why a bill can survive a run through the washing machine. Yep. Yeah. If you want to do some money laundering. I'm uh, sorry. I didn't really like that joke either, but I'm going to keep it anyway. Uh, also, the United States government says that it takes 4,000 double folds, as in you're, you're folding it forward and backward against itself 
before a bill will tear, a you know, brand new bill will tear. And uh, also because of this mixture, that's also difficult to replicate. However, uh, that doesn't mean people don't try. So what do you do to try and detect a counterfeit bill? One of the popular methods that is, uh, I've seen it used, like I've, I've paid for something with like a fresh $20 bill and seen people use these things, these counterfeiting pins. Oh, right. The pen is meant to try and detect a counterfeit bill. It, uh, usually has some sort of chemical in it, like iodine. And that would react to starch. And if it reacts to starch, then it will, it'll actually stain whatever it is it's marking against. Uh, starch, of course, being a common ingredient in many papers, but something that U.S. currency does not contain. Right. So the idea would be if you marked, if you use this marker on a, a legitimate bill, there should be no stain. If you used it on something that had a paper that had starch in it, it would stain, which sounds like it'd be pretty effective, except for the fact that there are a lot of ways of removing starches from paper or actually just buying starch-free paper. And in either case, those pens would not be effective. So you could have a fake bill. In fact, you could just cut out a sheet of paper on starch-free paper and just write, this is money on it, and hand it to someone. And if they ran the little marker on it, there would be no stain. It clearly would not be a real bill. Oh, but right, right. Unless you're using uh, Doctor Who's psychic paper. Not Doctor Who. That's terrible. The Doctor. Right. Oh, I feel like a bad nerd now. Okay, um... <laughs> it's, it's Mr. Who. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, um, I did it all the time. At at any rate, if you if you want to hear a little bit more about all of these anti counterfeiting measures, Jonathan and Chris did an episode called "The Tech of Making Money" way back on uh, August 9th, twenty ten, yep. and they they go into coins as well. If you're curious about how all of this currency is created, yeah, I remember we talked about milling. You know, twenty ten was shortly after they invented money, so it was a pretty fresh podcast back then. I was not even born yet. Yeah, I mean, oh, you know. It was it was it was odd because we had no way of recording podcasts. It was just us talking in a room. But somehow someone just wrote it all down and managed to recreate it. But despite all those measures, there are times when counterfeiters still find ways to pass fake bills into circulation. And so that is why or one of the big reasons why countries are starting to switch over to this polymer currency, which has not only all the benefits of the 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 counterfeiting anti counterfeiting measures we just talked about but has more on top of them. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break. All right, so let's talk about actual polymer currency. What makes it so special other than the fact that it's made out of plastic? Well, uh, in order to talk about this, let's talk about exactly how this currency is made out of plastic. Oh, you know, that's a good idea. All right, so you get a polymer substrate, which is really just a fancy way of saying a whole big flat sheet of this this stuff. It's uh, transparent. So you've got, you know, just imagine a a big transparent amount of plastic. It essentially looks the way that any transparent part on a banknote would look. Uh, And at this point, you can then treat it chemically. Uh, You would probably use some form of whitish ink to make it opaque. You might treat certain areas of that substrate chemically so that the white ink does not adhere to it. That would mean that those sections would remain transparent. Which is one of the coolest things, I think, about polymer <laughs> currency. When you can hold up the bill and see cleanly through it, not because there's a hole in it, which is the way most of my money looks. Uh, or, or because of a watermark. I mean, some paper currency does include a watermark, which is a, a thinner bit of the paper right. that light can shine through more readily. Yeah, that would be kind of translucent. You can actually have fully transparent sections of a polymer banknote. 
So uh, you would then treat it with this chemical. You'd wash all that off and you would ha- end up with a mostly opaque, big old sheet of this stuff. stuff. Then you would cut it into the actual sheet sizes you would use to feed through the printing. Yep. Mm -hmm. You would then run it through a printer that would end up applying some of the same techniques we talked about in the previous section, including intaglio etching and all that kind of good stuff. And different kinds of inks. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then you end up with these sheets of polymer banknotes, which you, of course, obviously have to cut up into the right sizes. I mean, you could hand somebody just a full sheet of you know, $20 banknotes, and they'd probably be like, this is awesome, where are the scissors? But, you know, you typically would cut those up so they'd be easier to distribute. That sounds like several board game experiences I've had. Um, but you can, uh, they, they do furthermore protect the, the sheets with a, with a varnish to keep the ink in place. That's true. And that's really important because as we'll talk about, the ink on these polymer banknotes was an early challenge, uh, in the, it, for, for countries that were attempting to make this move Earlier than others. Uh, right. In the early 1980s, a bunch of, of different places were looking into the technology. Right. And uh, what what they you know, you had all these different government officials that were looking at the possibility of using a polymer to switch over to as the basis for their their actual physical currency. And they started looking around at the different uh, products that were available on the market. No one was actually building a polymer out from the ground up for this. They were trying to see what else was available. DuPont had a product called Tyvek. Uh, the generic name for that being polyethylene. Yep. And this was, uh, you know, this looked like it could be a potential uh, candidate for polymer currency. So it's used in lots of other stuff, too. It's not just for polymer currency. It wasn't developed specifically to be polymer currency. It was just one of the use cases for it. And technically, Haiti was the first country to issue a polymer banknote. And this was way back in 1980. But the country didn't stick with polymer currency and, in fact, would switch back to paper. Because ink did not stick to the currency. Yeah, there was some smudging issues, which you don't really want in your official, you know, government-sanctioned currency. Uh, right. There were also problems with the bills being too fragile. They would break instead of instead of folding. Yeah. So this was, again, early, early on in the experiments with polymer currency. So no one had really hit upon the exact uh, kind of plastic that would be ideal for this use. Uh, Haiti was not the only country to experiment with this early on. Costa Rica also issued a polymer banknote made out of Tyvek in 1983. They also switched back to paper, uh, although they currently use a mixture of both paper and polymer currency. They're just not using the Tyvek uh, polymer anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had the Isle of Man, which, uh, you know, I keep forgetting is not actually under the governance of the United Kingdom. Because I think of the Isle of Man as, you know, it's right there. It's right there. I mean, it might as well be. But uh, but no, no, it's got its own money. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Isle of Man ended up using Tyvek, but it wasn't called Tyvek. It was rebranded as Bradvek because it was being printed by a company called Bradbury Wilkinson. Same stuff, just rebranded. So it still came from DuPont. It wasn't it wasn't made by Bradbury Wilkinson. And it's still polyethylene. It's still polyethylene. Exactly. Same stuff. And that was produced in 1983, and the Isle of Man also abandoned polymer currency after a short while, and they use paper now. Uh, the first Australian polymer notes had had similar problems. The the original, which was a $10 bicentennial note, was in fact taken out of circulation. So, you know, obviously these, these early attempts met with, uh, let's say, mixed success. It's not that they were, it's not that it was a bad idea, it's just that they hadn't hit upon the right material for it to really work. 
and to for it to truly be a durable physical currency. Because if you're going to try and replace your paper currency, you want this stuff to be able to last at least as long as the paper equivalent, if not longer. Oh, right. Hopefully longer so that you're not you're not wasting a whole lot of time and money trying to create this new new thing. Yeah. Only as good as the old thing. Uh, Australia did kind of lead the way uh, once they worked out what kind of material they wanted to use. And polypropylene is is the has become the popular choice. Yeah, and it's used in other stuff too, right? It's not just in 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 uh, polymer currency, right? It's like uh, textiles that are based on plastic, carpets, yeah, uh, upholstery, like thermal clothing, uh, ropes. It's it's what all that stuff is made out of. I mean, it's it's also very multifunctional. It's not just used in used in these fibrous kind of applications. Uh-huh. It can also be used for lots of medical and lab equipment like uh, Petri dishes or disposable syringes. So this is, you know, obviously, again, it's one of those things where this has a lot of different utility and they thought, hey, why don't we make our money out of this stuff? Except uh, in an Australian accent, which for your benefit, I shall not attempt. Excellent. Uh, but, uh, you know, this meant that they had a lot of other options that you wouldn't necessarily have with paper currency, including that bit I was talking about before, where you turn most of the banknote opaque. But leave a transparent window. Yeah. Again, this makes it really, really hard for counterfeiters to replicate. You know, you'd have to be very precise in the way you aligned your actual. I mean, by the time you go through the whole process of making something that would allow you to design this, you've probably spent more money than you could possibly replicate (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the touch and feel of this polymer currency is very distinct. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot more difficult to, to get that kind of thing into practice than it would be, uh, equivalent paper. Right, right. And then, uh, you know, they also were able to feature that raised lettering we talked about, like embossing, uh, stuff on, on this plastic, which actually adheres better to plastic than it would it, on just a regular paper oh, bill. Right. Paper can flatten out again after, yep. after circulation. Um, you can, you can also print designs on top of that transparent window. So you can have little, little blocks of, of opaque bits inside the window, which just layers upon layers of right. difficulty. Or you could have transparent bits within opaque bits. So right. you could have, a, a an area where, you know, in a design, there might be shades that are slightly lighter than the surrounding area. And if you hold it up to the light, suddenly you can read stuff like numbers usually. And that is another great thing to put in there because, again, very difficult to replicate. Uh, and as we said earlier in the episode, a lot of the other reasons besides this this whole uh, anti-counterfeiting approach are things like the fact that this money is more durable. Now, how much more durable is it? Um, depends. It depends on who you ask and exactly what kind of thing they're talking about. Both the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England have said that they're their bills are, or I mean, in, in the case of England, are, are slated to last about 2.5 times as long as their paper currency. Right. And then you've got the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia. They um, they they go a little further, right? They yeah, say four, about four times as long. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've read estimates that they're up to 10 times as durable. Right. But that doesn't necessarily, I mean, all of these are, are you know, kind of squiggly, yeah. imprecise yeah, yeah, estimate yeah. numbers. Uh, and you can fold this stuff. You know, it's not like it's you know, solid plastic. It's not like a, a credit card where, you know, it's it's stuck in this form factor so that everyone would have to have these very long bill folds. You could actually fold this like you could paper money. Uh, yeah, into a standard wallet. Yeah. So uh, anyway, if you're wondering, hey, how does that stack up against the lifespan of, say, an average dollar? Well, 
I'm going to take just a quick tangent here to, to say something that I think is pretty amusing. See, here in the United States, we've got several different official organizations that have a lot to do with money, including the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. And these different agencies give extremely uh, varied accounts of how long the average lifespan is for every denomination of bill. So depends upon whom you ask. I mean, uh, you know, one might say a, a dollar bill has a two year life expectancy and that's it. Another would say six years. Another would say six months. <laughs> Does anyone agree on this? Are you talking to each other at all? Yeah. And, and so it really depends upon which authority you uh, you look at. And it's funny because I actually first found out about that by listening to another podcast uh, called Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, where someone had asked them about the average lifespan of bills. Um, and so one of the, the members of the podcast group went in to study this and his response was, this was probably the most frustrating research I've ever had to do because I kept getting different answers depending oh, wow. upon where I went. I tried to corroborate it and I couldn't get any corroboration. So, um, uh, something that is absolutely definite is that you can clean polymer currency a lot better than you can paper currency. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing, y'all. Paper currency passes through a lot of hands. It's pretty gross. Yeah. And some of those hands, not the nicest hands. You know, it might be people who are sick. It might be that the money itself just comes into contact with other types of uh, contaminants like bacteria. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, people store money in all kinds of non-traditional places. It's not all pristine wallets. Yep. Yep. I've got some uh, some different like just thinking about the places where I found money where, you know, between cushions of a couch, who knows how long it's been there. Anyway, the point being that th- these dollar bills or, or banknotes, whatever, uh, can get pretty grungy and nasty and you can't really clean them uh, without possibly damaging Destroying the bill. them. Yeah. yeah. So if you're talking about a polymer. That's plastic. You can actually use a damp cloth. To and, just wipe it off. Yeah, just wipe it down, and then you've got a clean bill. So it could actually mean that you end up reducing the chance of spreading things like bacteria around, at least a little bit. I mean, it's not like it's going to eliminate it entirely, but it takes away one more uh, potential vector, right? Uh, certainly. And also just, you know, it's it's less stinky than yeah. paper linen bills can get. But so. if, you're, if you're wondering if I'm overreacting, I'm not. A 2002 report in the Southern Medical Journal showed that pathogens, including Staphylococcus, are on 94% of all dollar bills that they tested. Uh, so don't don't put money in your mouth. No, please that's... don't. Please do not. Do not do that. We like you. We'd like you to continue being listeners of Tech Stuff. Now... Another uh, argument for polymer banknotes, and we mentioned this earlier, too, is that they're actually greener than paper banknotes. And it's not that the, uh, the 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 processes to create them are greener, because generally, if you can use a renewable resource, that's better than using a um, a chemically created plastic resource. Yeah, especially since you're talking about some sort of probably some fossil fuel involved there. I mean, yep. petroleum based products are often part of this. Sure. Although I'm sure that there's there's fossil fuel use in paper money. Sure. But at any rate, um, you know, agencies don't have to create as much of the polymer currency to keep the same amount in circulation because each of the bills is going to last longer. Yeah. If you look at this from a really big picture standpoint, and, you know, it's crazy, but you have to step way back to really see the big picture. 
you're talking not only about replacing fewer bills into circulation because they're more durable, so they can last longer, they can they can remain in circulation longer. That's one thing, which means you don't have to make as much. That's that's important. But it also means you don't have to transport as much. You know, once you make all those new bills, you have to ship them to the various banks. And that requires energy. It requires, you know, that, you know, labor. So if you're able to reduce all of that, you can have a measurable effect at the end of the day. This is another example of how something that on the surface seems pretty, you know, cut and dry. Once you start diving into it, you realize, wow. Everything really is connected. It, oh, sure. It's way more complicated than I had first anticipated. So uh, some nations have found that they have more trouble with dealing with polymer currency than they did with paper currency. Uh, Nigeria actually considered abandoning polymer banknotes because they said that it was difficult to process and that it was difficult to destroy the old banknotes. Like once you were taking them out of circulation. Oh, wow. So so they're they're so durable that they're running into problems on the opposite end of how to like how do you how, how do you down. how do you break them down especially how do you break them down in a way that wouldn't be environmentally dangerous. Now, if you're able to recycle them in some way, like first you have to destroy it. Now, this is true with paper currency too. Uh, there are, there are various um uh, explanations of how th- this gets done, but essentially your paper currency when it's taken out of circulation is obliterated. Uh, I mean, it has to be, because otherwise, if it were to fall back into circulation, then you have the danger of inflation, right? Right. You, you suddenly have this issue of not being able to control the, the money supply, the, the currency, really. So uh, Nigeria said that it was getting really hard to um, destroy them properly. And so it was something that was holding them back from fully uh, uh, adopting a polymer ba- currency-based Economy. Sure. Australia does have a recycling program for their polymer currency. They're they're made into like compost bins and plumbing parts after they're too worn down to be used anymore. Which uh interesting. I'm there's so many jokes that I want to make about your money going into turning into <laughs> compost bins or or plumbing, particularly the plumbing pipes. I think about all the money I flushed down the drain. Over the years, over one harebrained scheme after another, those get rich quick schemes, man, they just never work out for me. I got to talk to my buddy Zach Morris about that when I'm done. Anyway, so that's kind of the story on polymer currency. It's actually I think it's really cool stuff. I'm you know, curious to see if the United States ever kind of moves to that as well. Uh, you know, I think it'd be neat to have this kind of plastic money that has all these other features to it you know, beyond the ones we're accustomed to with our paper currency. Absolutely. So thank you so much uh, for writing in and asking us to do that, Matt. We really appreciate it. That was a great suggestion. Hey, guys, if you have a suggestion for a topic that you think would make a great Tech Stuff episode, you need to let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuffatdiscovery.com. Or drop us a line on one of the many social networks that we often are hanging out on, like uh, Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr. Our handle is TechStuffHSW. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 